Hey guys, it's Joe from the Murder Brunch Bunch, and you're about to listen to our first episode. Now, I just want to give you a little disclaimer that the main content of our first episode was created before our audio upgrade. So the sound may be a little weird, but hang in there because I promise it will get better. But until then, enjoy. Welcome to the Murder Brunch. We are the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Clinton. I'm Joe. And I'm Rachel. This is the podcast where we give you two tales of mayhem and murder and discuss where a killer lies on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. Oh, so professional. Clint comes across very well read. Yes. Yeah. I am very well read. <laughs> I feel better now. Do you? We did it. We did it. Episode one. Yes. Now we've we can done all it. go home. We, okay, we're finished. All right, wrap Bye. It up. Nice. This is episode one. Thank you all for listening. So we're just going to start with some of our biz at first. Absolutely. To start us off, we have a presence on a bunch of social medias. If you'd like to follow us, we now have a Facebook page called the Murder Brunch Podcast. Our Twitter is Murder Brunch Pod. On Instagram, you can find us at Murder Brunch. Um, our Gmail is murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. And then our website is murderbrunchpodcast.com. <gasps> A lot. I, now I just I just want to ask, which one has the in front of it? <laughs> None of them. I don't know why you, I keep saying you that. Said one, yeah. I know. I don't know why I keep saying that. There's never a the in front of them. I'm I apologize. But what we're saying is if you go to anything and you search murder brunch, you should probably find us. You should find us. And hopefully you will like and rate and review this podcast and go ahead and hit subscribe to get all of our future murder brunches. That's my biz. Anybody have anything else? I would just like to call out so that along with the social medias, we have, from a hardware perspective, gotten some new things for our podcast. We have some upgraded microphones now, yes. a little bit of a better sound mixer. So, Thank you, Jeremy Terhune, for that audio engineering. He knows his stuff. He does. He does. And I think the last thing that we have right now is we want to give a big thank you to our buddies, Hunter and Alex. And Tucker, I guess. Tucker, their adorable dog. Yep. Tucker dog, the dog. pupper. Um, they got us the coolest present for our first episode, kind of congratulatory thing. And it's the true crime and serial killer trading card set. Like full set, yep. all the cards. Amazing. I was so excited. I almost peed my pants a little bit. Yeah, these are incredible cards. If you can find a copy of them, they were made in the 90s. They're all painted photos on them. We'll have some pictures of them on our Instagram page and throughout the year and all that good stuff. And maybe we'll uh, share some stories from them with you guys. Absolutely. And I believe when they originally came out, it was like a, I don't know if it was barcodes or what, but you mailed stuff in and they sent you back a pack of these cards. Oh, that's cool. You mail in your true crime story? Yes. <laughs> I murdered someone. Please send me some cards. Yeah. Send in your confession. We'll give you a prize. <laughs> It was all a sting from the police. It was, yeah. Well, they did have those playing cards. What playing cards? So it was unsolved murders, 
and they put them on the covers or on the or something of playing cards and then they would distribute the playing cards to convicts in the prison system to play with and so they would constantly have these stories of unsolved murders popping up and then like you know someone would be like oh i remember that one <laughs> or oh i remember that girl and then the snitches mm-hmm. would report back i believe they like to be called informants rats <laughs> oh uh that's cool yep so we ready to go? We're ready to go. Let's get started. So uh, for our first story today, it takes place in Scotland. So I brought to the brunch um, some iron. This is pronounced iron, even though there's a no O. Iron brew. B-R-U. Iron brew. Uh, which is a Scottish soda. We were we were going to do whiskey, but I, this sounded more interesting to me. You so. should have gotten both and we could have mixed them together. <laughs> I don't know if that would have worked. The this, this soda already is. I like, personally feel let down. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but we're doing Urn Brew as our drink, and for our snacks today, we've got what? We have a spread. Uh, we have some mini mocha-flavored donuts, some olives, garlic, cookies, goodies. Lots of them. I have never seen just garlic in a little tub. Is that what that is? I thought yes. they were nuts. Nope. Roasted garlic. It's delicious. Wow. All right. I'm going to eat one. All right. Give us a little feedback. How does, what does it taste like? <laughs> What does it taste like? Surprisingly, it tastes like garlic. Weird. <laughs> Very weird. <laughs> Which is delicious. Excellent. Now that I have garlic in my mouth, I'm going to eat a donut. <laughs> this is a weird brunch. Um, okay. Awesome. So, shall we dive into our first murder story? Yes, we shall. Okay. Rachel has provided us with our first story of mayhem and murder. What do you got for us, Rachel? Today, we are going to talk about Peter Thomas Manuel. He's, uh, do all serial killers have three names? So I heard about that one time that the reason they do that is so like if there's a Peter Manuel running around, he's not yeah. right. He's not instantly flagged as a serial killer. So a lot of serial killers are, are called by all three names. People still gonna do that. People still gonna do that. Yeah, that's gonna be that guy's gonna have a hard life. Yeah. Okay, so he's a Scottish serial killer known as the Beast of Birkinshaw. We're going a little bit back in time to March thirteenth, nineteen twenty seven. He was born in New York, but moved to Scotland uh, around the age of five. At the age of 11, he started going to grammar schools, and he found a place at a very good grammar school because he's, he's incredibly smart. He's a very smart dude. But by the age of 14, he was starting to break into houses and steal things. So his, his life of crime started fairly early. I think it is important to note that he was intelligent, though. He was showing psychopathy. Psycho- Psychopathy? Thank Psychopathy. you. Psychopathy. That's why Clinton's here is to help <laughs> us with pronunciation. Uh, signs at one of these break-ins when he, quote, he was caught by the police having broken into a house a few doors down from the school and stolen a handbag. The lady of the house saw him coming from her bedroom with an axe in his hand. As a result, she had a nervous breakdown. So already at his break-ins, he is starting to have violent tendencies. He didn't use the axe on anyone, but he was walking around with it for... I assume his purpose with the axe was to get into the house? Possibly. Or or to to terrorize. Yeah. Yeah, maybe some kind of intimidation tactic. And this is at 14 14, still. Okay. He also, I mean, even if he is doing those kind of things, he's, he's incredibly young while he does it. And he's breaking into houses while people are home. Mm. Which is very, yeah. that doesn't really happen for a lot of early B&Ers. You know what I mean? Like a lot of, if you're going there just to steal, 
you typically do it when no one's home because it makes it much easier. Right. Now, did you say when we get to the meat of this, it was in 1927, or was he born? He was born in, in 1927. Okay, so at 14, it's 1941. So turn of the century, 1940s. <laughs> Very good. This is important. Yes, it is. And it's interesting that, like, throughout his story, like, it never mentions things like World War II or anything like that. Hmm. So, I mean, he was young when all of that stuff was happening. Yeah, still, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's going to affect everything. He right. would have been a child of the Depression. Yes. So, I yes. mean. And as far as I could tell, his, I mean, both of his parents. Wait a minute. Not in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh the Depression, right, right. But he, but Scotland was, you know, part of World War II and everything right. like that. And, and as far as I could tell, like, his both of his parents are around. His dad is there until Peter's adulthood and all that. So, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. That was kind of left out of the story. Because of his reckless behaviors, illegal behaviors, he kept being moved to different reform schools. And we're talking like boarding schools. Like they would send him away. But he kept running away from them. At the age of 15, he was charged with indecently assaulting the wife of one of the school staff. Is there a way to assault someone that is decent? <laughs> You make a valid point, but he indecently did it. Uh, you know, <laughs> his dick out. <laughs> well, but it's also it's it's the it's Scotland. Uh, he was he was possibly going to school in England by then, so maybe you can decently do it by like stop that or so. I don't know what they would do for a, li- a limp wrist slap. <laughs> there you go. Um, Sorry, England. <laughs> yeah, we know we love we love you. So, but he did it. This is the indecent part, I guess. By knocking her on the head with a stick and attempting to rape her, stripping her, and dragging her to the woods, hurting her so badly she needed eight stitches. So he pled guilty to robbery with violence. And so this is at 15. 15. Yeah. He's attempting to rape someone's wife. Yes. Okay. I think it's interesting that it's attempting. I'm wondering if he might have had issues with that. Well, I'm guessing she fought back. Yes, it sure sounds like Right. So that might have been part of it. At 18, he moves back to Scotland with his parents, all right? And he's sentenced to one year's imprisonment for housebreaking and eight years for rape committed while on bail. So he's got nine years in prison. At 18. At 18. While in prison, according to his psychiatric report, and again, this is a quote, he states that this was a trumped-up charge on the part of the police who, he infers, manufactured the evidence that convicted him. He states that from then on, he had it in for the police who had framed him. So he's already starting to have a little bit of delusions of grandeur almost. Or, or you know, he's obviously being able... He lies. He mm-hmm. lies about what has happened to him. He's well, a victim. That's yeah. worth asking. Do you think he's lying? Or do you think... The police really had trumped up charges on him? Yeah. They could be like, this fucker's been a problem for, you know, right. who knows how long, and so let's make sure we get him. That's actually a very good point you bring up. I want you to save that for later, okay? okay. But here's an interesting thing. He's in jail for nine years, right? Apparently, the detective who put him in jail, he starts to have, like, this vendetta toward him. And he does things like he mails him Christmas cards, and he sends him letters and stuff like that. His name was Detective Muncie. And in England, there's a TV show called In Plain Sight, Mm-hmm. Where you, uh, it's the story of Manuel and, and Muncie, and they're kind of cat and mouse. Oh, yeah, so. I've heard of that. I think it's only like a three part series or something, so it might be worth looking into. The rape charge he got out of because he, he only had what was it? Eight, I'm sorry, nine he, years. He had nine years, he won for housebreaking, eight years for the rape committed while on bail. So that's separate. When he gets out, he is arrested for a rape charge of a woman named Mary McLaughlin. Allegedly, he attacked her after a dance and drags her to a field, rapes her, and then threatens to decapitate her. She claimed on the stand 
Her fear excited him. Details about her death. He, he like recounted those details of how he was going to kill her for like an hour while he was fondling her and kissing her and stuff like that just to make her scared. Yikes. But the rape couldn't be proven. He was so charming during the court trial, he was let go. He was not charged with her rape. He, this is another part, again, uh, just an account for his intelligence. He did his own defense. He let his lawyers go and he did his own defense. And he would have been... 27 at this point, so yep. nine years in jail, starting at 18. Right, and I think it happened fairly after when he okay. got out. Yeah, and it is at this point that he starts to escalate and we start getting murders. Our first known murder victim is a girl by the name of Anne Nylans. She's 17. She is raped and murdered on a golf course. She was coming home from a dance and he got her. His next one is a woman named Marion Watt. Her sister, Margaret Brown, they're in their 40s, and Marion's daughter, Vivian, who are, who's 17. As far as I could tell, there was no rape involved in this murder, but they were shot to death in their beds. And here's, here's a weird aspect to their story. Marion's husband was the original suspect, William Watt. He was obviously falsely identified, and he went to jail for like 63 days. His story is fascinating. I didn't go into a lot of details about it because we're really, you know, focusing on Peter at this point. But William Watt was like ID'd by two witnesses that said that he was the killer. I mean, it's horrifying what this man went through, especially after losing his wife and sister-in-law and daughter. But Peter Manuel contacted Mr. Watt's solicitor, which is his lawyer, right. saying that he had information about the murder from his criminal contacts. Because that's the thing. Peter Manuel was also trying to get into like gang associations. He wanted to be a player in that kind of world in Scotland. And nobody would let him in because he was a talker. He ran his mouth. He was, he was mm -hmm. too arrogant for them. So he said that he had these criminal associations and they he had more information about the murder, murder to get William Watt off. And then when William Watt was released from prison and cleared of charges, Peter Manuel met William Watt and they had a series of meetings in which the crime was discussed and Peter Manuel claimed the crime had been committed by his criminal acquaintances. So like Peter Manuel could not stand the idea of someone else getting his credit. I think that's really what it comes down to. And then further met up with the guy who was in jail for his crime to like chit chat, to talk about what happened, which is horrifying. I mean, really. So Mr. William Watt here. Yeah. Like, how involved was he? Was this a, I'm going to leave the door unlocked for you or like no. totally innocent. I think he was or... totally innocent. He was actually away the night it happened. He was on a fishing trip. He was, he literally had, I don't think he had anything to do with it. Hmm. Yeah. He was just. Yet people. I did him. Yes. And... But it's a case of like, um, gosh, again, this is part of the story that if you really want to look into, you'd have to look it up. But it was like a ferryman remembered his car coming across a river, but then couldn't name which vehicle it was. Right. And then like someone saw him in the dark and thought it was, you know, it was, it was very shady kind of eyewitness stuff. So, so if he was very, if he was completely innocent, then imagine that, that feeling knowing that I sat down yeah. with my wife's murderer yes. and we had tea and, and chatted. Like, did he know this was? Nope. The At this point, Peter Manuel had not been convicted of it. Okay. Yeah. Man. This he was, was just, just supposed to be the friend of the friend of the guy who did it. Right. Basically like the informant or something like right. that. Yeah. This next murder is a little tricky. Uh, it was a taxi driver. His name was Sidney John Dunn, and he was found shot to death. He was found after Peter Manuel was hanged for his offenses. 
but they associate this murder with Manuel. They say that Manuel conducted it because the area he was shot, Peter Manuel was also going to an interview in that area. So they think he might have hired him as his taxi driver and then shot him. But the motive and everything is really murky about this one. So this one hasn't exactly been claimed by Manuel, but apparently it's still on his list. He didn't want to pay those Uber fees. Yeah, that must have been it. <laughs> the next one is Isabel Cook, also 17. She was found, again, very close to like Ann Nyland. She was found after a dance, and he dragged her into a field. He uh, just loves these 17-year-olds after He really dances. does. I know, right? <laughs> that is a weird... Anyway, but he uh, raped and murdered. Her body was not found until he was captured. She was missing for about a month. So we're getting close to the point where he's captured. But once he was captured, he led the cops to her body. They had not found her on their own. When they did, though, well, I should say, previous to finding her body, they had found her things. She had, like, a scarf and a purse and, you know, all that stuff, 40s or 50s at this point. And her, all of her items were scattered on the ground in a path that led to, to Manuel's house. So he was being extremely arrogant about it. Not like right up to his doorstep or anything. So it's like a Hansel and Gretel kind of thing, just like tossing something out every couple of his feet all the way up yeah. to his little candy house. Yeah. But Peter did lead the cops to her shallow grave where they could where they could get her. Uh, his last group of murders were the Smarts. Peter, his wife Doris, and their son Michael, who was 10. They were shot in their beds. At this point, Peter Manuel is starting to get extremely cocky. He actually stayed in their house for a few days. He fed their cat. He opened and closed their curtains. It was all, yeah, he was just basically living in their house. And the way they caught him, this was very close to Christmas, Peter Smart had taken out money for gifts, like five pound notes to give to relatives and, and Michael, his son, for gifts. And he had marked them. And so Peter Manuel had taken those money, taken that money and gone and uh, spent it. Someone had trace that money back to him. And so they're like, why do you have Peter Smart's money? Is that interesting? So walk me through this here then. So Peter Smart yes. takes out some money. Yes. Writes something on it. Maybe it says something like Happy Christmas or something right. like that. To so-and-so. From Peter. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, because I'm just trying to think of what could be so identifying that when someone else sees it, they're like, oh, this is so-and-so's money. Well, if it's if it does say to to Peggy, happy right. Christmas from Peter, and this guy is handing it over, if it's a small enough town, that shopkeeper's like, you ain't Peggy. True. Mm-hmm. And then also, it, let's say, okay, so all my reports that I read, it just said marked. Right. This is a time when Peter went into the bank, you know, got it from a teller. If the teller is like, Peter Smart came in two days before he was murdered, here's the, the number, you know, the, the uh, what's the word, serial number of the money we gave him. Mm-hmm. It might be something that they keep track of. They you know, my husband's job, they mark all the money they get. Like actual market with a They marker. have a stamp. They have a stamp. Mm-hmm. And really? Yeah. And it's so, I mean, you see the little icon and hmm. you're reminded I've seen of that on the, the bigger bills. Yeah. But this, these were five pounds. Yeah. That's not a lot, but, uh, but yeah. So that's anyway, that's how they found him. Well, at least he fed the cat. He fed the cat. Thank God. This could have been a tragedy. <laughs> yeah. Oof. When he was caught, he. Again, keeping up the whole idea that he is innocent, he's the victim here. He said he had a conversation with the real killer, and that's how he got the details about like where uh, Isabel Cook was buried and stuff like that. He knew who the killer was, and that's why he had all this information. It sounds like a five-year-old trying to lie. Yes, it's definitely that that idea that serial killers have where they're smarter than everybody else, yeah. and they're and they're like nobody's going to catch me. But again, 
He's so arrogant. He's so putting himself out there to be caught. It is interesting, though, because so a lot of times, you know, as we listen to or hear about more and more of these, they do like to brag a little bit once they're caught. But he seems to shy from that once he's actually caught. And he's, it's more like, oh, was it wasn't me. It was, it was that other guy. Right. But he, does, but he still says that I have all the information. So he still right. likes to be in the thick of it. He likes to be the one who the cops are coming to, but he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to go to jail. I think it's really, he doesn't want to hang, which ultimately is what he gets. Uh, he defended himself in court again because it had worked the first time. So he's like, I'm going to defend myself, which was interesting because the judge complimented his defense case, but still said, you're going to hang. So that's pretty interesting. So when are we here on this uh, last oh, you know death what? and trial? For some reason, I don't have his date of death. Let me just, I can pull that up. 1958 is when he died. Okay. And I think that was about six months after he was charged. I think he was charged in January and he died July 11th. He, he wasn't, he wasn't that old. No, he would have been, but you said 58? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 31. Yeah, he's not a good dude. He couldn't be convicted for Ann Nyland's death or Sidney Dunn, and Sidney Dunn was found after he was hanged. So, so that's how it worked out. He's, basically, the smarts are really what convicted him. Right. And then, of course, Isabel Cook and, and Marion Watt and all those folks got added to his charges as well. He, he stayed in contact with um, that detective monkey through all of this. So that's that's a really weird relationship he had there. There Plus at least a couple of meetings with the Watts, husband. Yeah, of... but that was, again, that was like very close to when after they right. died and, and he was out of jail. Mr. Watt. There is a common theory that the cops colluded to hang him as soon as possible. Because, I mean, six months turnaround is pretty crazy, even for an old-timey justice system. That's pretty crazy. But he was diagnosed as a psychopath. He had a diagnosis as a, as a psychopath. And as far as I could tell, that actually meant he should have been held in, indefinitely as someone who was sick, not someone who deserves to be hanged. Like, that's... I couldn't find exactly the details on that, but that seemed to be... But the cops wanted to hang him because the crimes were so atrocious. Uh, his final meal was fish and chips with tomatoes, tea, and brandy. You should be drinking brandy. Oh, I know. We yeah. should have had brandy. We Mine should have had I that have meal. We, oh my God. Could you imagine we if we had had that meal? We should have had that specific meal right now. That's Do awesome. over. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll think of that next However, time. it's kind of underwhelming for your last meal. I know. but it's, I don't know. I love fish and chips. Okay. With well, tomatoes we'll, and brandy. We'll, I've never done it with tomatoes and brandy. We'll You're missing out. But also, I am not a psychopath. <laughs> well, <laughs> only psychopaths eat fish and chips with tomatoes. Yeah. What the, kind of tomatoes? Cherry tomatoes? Cherry tomatoes. Mm. We'll pop, pop them in. Uh, documents about his case are sealed until 2033 because they are too gruesome. So there's there could be things about these cases that we don't even know. I'm going to beg a differ on that one. It's pretty, pretty awful. I think we probably have heard worse now that we live in 2020. Fair enough. Hmm. But, they're, but they have not been released yet. My guess then is then if he followed through, because so we already get the tale of he's going through the gruesome details of the things he wants to do to this lady while wooing her. Mm. Uh, and <laughs> so I'm guessing. Such an interesting term to use. <laughs> um, Let's cut that out. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering then if, you know, Let's like he really did viciously decapitation and like oh that's like true limb removal and like you're right because other than being shot like nothing else is mentioned about the the people who like Ann Nyland's raped and murdered on a golf course was she decapitated I don't know exactly I think she I think I read she was strangled but there might have been something else there Isabel Cook was missing for a month I didn't read anything about what her body what state her body was in um obviously decomposition would have set in somewhat but like 
And why did he go after this one? Because so clearly, seventeen-year-old girls after Dan's is that he likes to rape and murder. That's mm-hmm. a that's a thing. That's a thing. But then just this family. Why did he like? Why did he target the smarts? I and it, and again, it's another escalation. The father is home. That's something. It has a little boy instead of a girl. Right. You know, there's his mo is kind of all over the place. So that's a big part of it too. Maybe it was just another show of arrogance. Right. You know? And I mean, he clearly loves this whole breaking in while they're home, like whatever that thrill yes. is. Yes. Because that's followed him since he was a teenager. That's continued. So uh, maybe it was harder to get to that fix. And so and so he kept asking. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite description of him is from a website called blackpoolcrime.com, and it is this. He was well-groomed and strong. He was five foot four with a tiny chest measurement. So he, Aww, he killed many times. He longed to belong to the world of games, but he was rejected because he couldn't keep his mouth shut. There's a hint that he was bullied when he was young. He was a loyal son and confessed when the investigators put pressure on his family. He slipped back to a house he had broken into to feed the family cat. He killed at least eight people. That was another thing I didn't really touch on, but his his relationship with his parents was very interesting because I believe they arrested his father, and that's why he came forward to confess. Because he's like, no, my father did not do anything. I'm not letting him go to jail for this. So his loyalty to his parents, and he was living with his parents up until the time he was arrested. So he's in his 30s, late 20s, 30s, still living with his parents. Because he loves them so much. Well, so that's weird too. That though, and he was in jail from 18 to 27. Yes. And once you're out, it's not like he's got a house and job waiting for no, him. No, you're right. That is true. And, then, it, and then we only get four years until he's dead. You make, you make a very so. good point. But it's not like he was running away from family. Well, right, yeah. 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 Well, he, he lost all that time to learn how to be a functioning adult. Mm-hmm. So, as we move into talking about where... Peter falls on the scale. I just want to remind everyone that the scale we're looking at is from a Dr. Michael Stone. He wrote a book called Anatomy of Evil, which has 22 levels of evil, ranging from justifiable homicide to psychopathic torture murder. Peter Manuel, in my opinion, I found two ranks that I thought he would be appropriate for. 14, which is ruthlessly self-centered psychopathic schemers, or 18, which is torture murderers, though the torture element is not prolonged. Hmm. Now, I think you might be like, well, the torture murderers aren't, he didn't torture enough. I put that in quotes because really any torture is too much torture. But I, I keep going back to that one story from Mary McLaughlin where she said that he really got off on saying all the terrible things he was going to do to her. And with the whole thing with the files being shut for so long, there may be torture there that they don't want to because it's so gruesome and being that all the people are dead you don't know what he said to them that's true plus they uh, plus so many of his victims were found shot to death in their homes right. well what happened in those homes yeah how long was he there how i mean even shooting the family in front of the father or something like that yeah is a form of torture for sure. Well, just about like he could have moved in with those smarts and been there for like weeks while keeping them like hostage. Oh, Who knows? That's true. We, I I don't have a timeline on that. Only the cat knows. But I did choose category fourteen as well. The ruthlessly self-centered psychopathic schemers, because obviously he really enjoyed this whole cat and mouse game of talking to doc, to Mister Watt. Yeah. You know, being part of the investigation. Um, the leading the Isabel Cook's belongings back to his house. He really enjoyed 
the the gameplay of what he was doing. And what level is that one? 14. 14. It's an interesting range from 14 to 18. 14 still falling into the murders show malice of forethought. Mm -hmm. And then at the bottom with the 18, you are straight up into the serial killers, tortures, and sadists. Which he, he qualifies for. He has I eight think victims. So. Yeah. He's definitely a serial killer. And he would have continued to kill if he hadn't been caught. Right. I really think that until the files are released and you know completely what he did to these people, that he would probably fall, fall under the 14 from what we know now. Oh, so you're saying that he wouldn't fall under torture murderers until we have extra details? You yeah. don't think what he's done is enough to qualify for that? Well, we don't know, right? He could have been in the house for weeks, slowly chopping these people's fingers off. Or he could have walked in, shot everybody at once, and then watched TV and hung with the cat. Hmm. You know? And that's I think that is a big detail that would change his ranking. Also, the information about him wanting to be part of the Scotland gang scene, it could be some of these murders were done to impress them. And if that's the case, he could fall on a rank that's not even... <laughs> Category 13, inadequate, rageful psychopaths. Yeah, he could have been something like that. Maybe someone just, maybe these girls made him mad. Maybe they... They didn't want to date him because he was so short. Yeah, he was, very he was a small, I angry love man. We love short boys. I do. Your husband's very tall. <laughs> no. Your husband's very tall. What? Your husband's very... All of us have we husbands have over six feet tall. Interesting. So where do we think we, he falls? I guess maybe 14? Ruthlessly self-centered psychopathic schemers? Well, just right after that is psychopathic cold-blooded spree or multiple murderers. And I think he qualifies for 15. He's not spree. Spree is when you kill a bunch of people like all at one time. Like, within, like, two days of each other. But he, it does say spree or multiple murders. Yeah, I, I have to rule out 14. Why? Because, I don't know, only because I think he does move up to at least 15. So 14 point... <laughs> 14.5. <laughs> I thought about 16, because 16 is psychopathic persons committing multiple vicious acts, including, including murder. murder. So that would involve the rape and the intimidation and all yes. that. I mean, I think that is an accurate description. I say 14. I'm stuck on the whole, they won't release all the details. Well, and things like that. So. 13 years, we'll do an update episode and we'll change where he falls on the yeah. scale. I, I, I really think that there's something in there that is going to tip him in one direction or Something not. horrific he must have done. Okay. <laughs> As of today... Peter Thomas Manuel falls into category 14, ruthlessly self-centered psychopathic schemers. Yes? We have come to an agreement? 14.5? 14 to 16. Okay, alright. So 15. <laughs> Thank you, Clint. Joe is going to present our second story today. Joe, what do you got for us? A mouthful of garlic. Mm. Alright, today we're going to talk about the carbon copy murders otherwise known as the Erdington murders, which is also from England. So we're, we're taking a trip over the sea. All right. This, across, this the pond, across the pond. The yes. Our story starts on May 26, 1817, in the small rural village of Erdington, England. It is Whit Monday, which is a holiday unknown to me. Mm. 
It was always marked in the town by a local dance at Tyburn House. On this day, Mary Ashford, who's 20 years old, so 20 years old on May 26, 1870. Clinton, are you keeping track? I am. These details are very important to Clinton, so I just want to make sure that it's clear for him. I love context. And I like you, to know listener. What the world is like and what how old these people are. It Absolutely. is important. It's important. Okay. Wait a minute. Is she our protagonist? Listen to the story. Okay. On this day, Mary Ashford, 20 years old, traveled from Langley Heath, where she lived, to Birmingham, where she worked. On her way, she stopped by Erdington to visit her friend, Hannah Cox, to drop off a bundle at Hannah's home. You see the plan? A bundle of what? Listen to the story. Okay. Do you see what, I've, what I have to deal with, listeners? Okay. The plan was that after work, Mary would return to Hannah's house and change into her brand new party dress for the dance that evening. I look out for Peter Manuel. <laughs> he loves a dancer. Yeah. This plan worked out fine, and the two young women, by all accounts, enjoyed the festivities, ultimately leaving at midnight in the company of Benjamin Carter and Abraham Thornton. What a bunch of names. Two, two strapping young gentlemen of the town. On the way home, the foursome split up. Hannah went home, Benjamin returned to the dance, and Mary and Abraham continued walking together. At 4 a.m., Mary returned to Hannah's house to change back into her everyday clothes and then left to go back to her own home in Langley Heath at 4 a.m. Stay. A few Stay. hours. Sleep on the Get, couch. Yeah, take a nap, then go home, right? Agreed. She's avoiding the walk of shame. <laughs> Could be very unbecoming in yes. 1870. <laughs> in the early hours of the next morning, which is May 27th, a Labrador named Jane, or no, his name was George. So a Labrador named George found Mary's body in a flooded sand ditch next to the main street. Did George call the cops in his little <laughs> Labrador face? He alerted his owner. Okay. He did. She appeared to have been strangled and raped. Oof. Abraham Thornton was immediately arrested. However, he was extremely confused when arrested, stating, quote, I cannot believe she is murdered. Why, I was with her until 4 o'clock this morning. He confessed that while alone, he and Mary did have sex in a field, after which yeah. they laid staring at the stars and talking. Aww. Aww. That's it really been sweet. romantic. <laughs> Aww, poor Abraham. It was a cute meet. Is that a thing anymore? I would hope that would have been a little bit more than just a cute meet. Like, they knew each other a little bit more than that. They stayed there watching the stars until 3 a.m. He then said that he walked Mary back to Hannah's house to change. Waited about 20 minutes and then left when it seemed that she wasn't coming back out. There are some eyewitness reports that back up the latter part of his statements. All of them saying that they did see Abraham waiting outside Hannah's house. One person even said that they had a 10 to 15 minute conversation with Abraham while in the street while he was waiting. Who are all these people up at 4 a.m.? Right? It's, well, it's a holiday. They all went to the dance. It's probably a whole town participating. Well, also, it is a rural area. So farmers, where do they get up? That's true. I'm not a farmer. I don't know. Early. You fail me again right now. I did. I, mm -hmm. I need to do more farming research. I am the closest to a farmer in this group. Oh my God. You look like a farmer. <laughs> you sound like a farmer. <laughs> Abraham was put on trial, but due to the eyewitness accounts and no concrete evidence, the jury found him not guilty. 
This did not sit well with Mary's brother, who appealed for a second trial. So Lord Ellenborough, who was the lord of the land and conducting the trial, used a very old law uh, called Trial by Battle, B-A-T-T-E-L. And it was quite literally throw down a gauntlet and then a fight to the death to figure out justice. But who? Abraham versus who? The brother? The brother. Oh. Yeah. So Abraham threw down the gauntlet saying, did Abraham this ha- is bullshit. <laughs> did Abraham have to call for it or just yeah, agree to so. it? Yeah, okay. I guess I Because it does specifically said that he threw down the gauntlet. Like, I mean, like this actually happened. Like, nice. like he had a gauntlet. Like somebody, <laughs> here, borrow my gauntlet for the day. And he threw it down. However, Abraham was a bricklayer and kind of imposing. So Mary's brother kind of backed down. <laughs> wow. And nothing happened and um, they went on their way. However, the town was convinced that Abraham was guilty and he ultimately had to leave for America. And then the case was never solved. Wow. Fast forward oh. to an epilogue. May 27th, 1974. Oh, wow. Didn't this whole thing start on a May 20-something? <laughs> Remember the name of the story? The Carbon Copy Murders. Oh, right. Right? Okay. So, fast forward to May 27th, 1974. The same day Mary Ashford's body was found 157 years later. It was another Whit Monday, and another 20-year-old woman was found in a sand ditch just yards away from the exact location of where Mary's body was discovered. Wow. This woman was Barbara Forrest, and it appeared that she, too, was strangled and raped. She was last seen with her boyfriend, Simon Belcher, who were both out dancing. Simon said that at 1 a.m., he walked Barbara to the bus, and that was the last time he saw her. They didn't have sex in a field and stare at the stars. I, they weren't that romantic. Oh, I, I see. Yeah. Well, Maybe they, they stayed up there. another hour. <laughs> the magic was gone. Yeah. yeah, there were no more fields. No, yeah. Those farmers. I am so tired. I'm so of tired of teenagers having sex in, in our fields. After an investigation, authorities turned their attentions on one of Barbara's co-workers, who reportedly was found with blood stains on his pants and a false alibi for the day. But Ooh. was he a farmer? Maybe that's part of his job <laughs> no why are farmers covered in blood they kill animals and stuff right not if you're like an asparagus farmer <laughs> <laughs> okay right well asparagus, Fair point. asparagus are notoriously bloody this man's name was michael ian thornton michael ian thornton thornton yes which is abraham's last name right mm-hmm. <gasps> the plot thickens this thornton was also put on trial and also found not guilty due to lack of evidence. This time, it was Barbara's sister that could not accept the outcome and demanded the case re- reopen. Did she demand it be gauntlet thrown she trial is, by battle? She is running around the, the, <laughs> the courthouse searching for a gauntlet. <laughs> this case has also never been solved. So to recap, wow. both women were 20 years old. Both murdered on Whit Monday. Both went dancing the night before. Both men tried for their deaths was last name Thornton. Both were acquitted. Both murders have been unsolved. Eerily, both of the women have the same birthday. 
Wow, that's interesting. And both, prior to their deaths, had feelings of dread. Mary Ashford, the one from... 1817. Yes, that one. Was reported to tell Hannah Cox's mother that she had a bad feeling about the week to come. And Barbara Forrest had said 10 days before her murder, this is going to be my unlucky month. I just know it. Don't ask me why. I mean, we, I think we have to go with it was a sacrifice for some kind of weird cult. No, there's there's clearly, you know, be it evil clown or whatever that <laughs> sleeps and comes back every 157 <laughs> years. Ooh, that's spooky. Yeah. Now, was this, was the second Thornton was not related to Abraham? Because Abraham left for America, so. Yeah. But nope. was it part of his family tree or anything Not like that, that I, I okay. saw. That's weird. It is weird, right? Okay, so first question then. Abraham, the strapping young bricklayer, mm-hmm. uh, do we think he killed her? I don't think so. It seems like if you were trying to cover up a murder, you wouldn't be like, yeah, I was with her all night. Like, right, It right. just seems... Yeah. Uh, and especially if there's people who are placing you in front of her house. Yeah. You know? This yeah. seems a pretty genuine... And, uh, and apparently there were a lot of people who came to the trial who were like, oh yeah, he was there, and then I saw him leave. Right. Yeah. And then our second Mr. Thornton, he dropped her off at a bus. So was the bus there, or did he just leave her at an empty bus stop? Because that's not cool either. But then he had a false alibi and blood on his clothes. Okay, so, no. Her boyfriend dropped her off at the bus. Which was oh. the first guy that they were looking at. And his name was Simon Belcher. Right? Oh, okay. And then, they, then the authorities changed their focus to a co-worker. That's right, that's right, that's right. And that's... That's the Thornton. That's the Thornton. Okay, so maybe the second one really... He really did it. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. They mention... In the things that I've read, they mentioned, oh, this guy had bloodstains on his pants. And it's like, well, did anybody ask where those came from? And they also said that he had a false alibi. His mother gave him an alibi that turned out to be untrue. And it's like, okay, well, then where was he? Right. Yeah, because this is... suspicious. Yeah. And this is still considered unsolved, which means he was not convicted of the crime. Yeah. I guess... At, now, when... Barbara Forrest's sister wanted the case reopened. She did demand for DNA testing. Right. Which in, so the, this was in 1974, mm-hmm. DNA testing, not really not a, a thing. thing. DNA. It yeah. wasn't really. It's, but... John Mulaney has that great bit talking about, oh, we found this puddle of the murderer's blood in the hallway. And it was like, gross. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So. Like, but it still would have been collected. They probably, they would have had a sample of perhaps semen I mean, if or, there was something yeah. on her. Well, who even knows? Well, typically, if it was a rape charge, if they think she was raped, there usually is something evident there. Either some kind of fluid or violence against her body or underwear laying around. So I feel like there might have been something collected. Well, if she's asking for a DNA test, she knows that they have something. Yeah. Well, see, that's another thing. So in 1817, they seem to make a note that they believe that she was strangled, then raped. Ooh. But then she was left in a ditch that was flooded so she's like in water so it's almost like in 1817 how how are they getting yeah those conclusions you know her underwear was missing but she had just had sex in a field you know what i mean like maybe you lost her underwear here's something interesting after i was doing stuff and and i always look for uh, videos on youtube like documentary videos on youtube on whatever i happen to be researching and one came up that was very interesting. It was a woman, and it was talking about a book that she was writing about Mary Ashford. And strangely enough, they never said what the book was or who that woman 
her name was. <laughs> like, okay. I'm supposed to know or something. And, but anyway, she was talking about, apparently this is a very big story in 1817. You Imagine know, so, yeah. small town. Yeah. And it was, it was right next to Birmingham. Birmingham was the second largest city in all of England. So this guy, Abraham, became a very notorious figure in England. So she, she went back to original court documentation and was talking about all of these discrepancies. And it all revolved around how women are viewed in crimes like this. Mm. She was this weak and mild creature who couldn't defend herself. And one of her things was, was she even murdered? Or was this something like an accident, I guess she was alluding to or whatever. Oh, accident. Like, but, but you know, they had to, but they found her in a certain way and they had to defend her honor or something like that. Interesting. And I'm like, oh my God, that is so interesting. And I want to know what that book is and I want to read it, but they didn't give me information on it. Right, well, if anyone knows this, the book that was written about Mary Ashford's death, please yeah. let us know. <laughs> her death. Her death. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been an, another episode of the Murder Brunch from us, the Murder Brunch Bunch. I, just I don't know that. where on the scale people that can kill 157 years apart. <laughs> there's no vampire. <laughs> yeah, there's no vampire level. Where is that? Um, for more information about Peter Thomas Manuel, uh, my sources I used wgbh.org, blackpoolcrime.com, which that article was very good. I highly recommend it. And then the old Glasgow murders.com. And for my story, my, my sources are from the Huffington Post, a great article that was written by Stephanie Almazen and the book Incredible Phenomena written by Peter Booksmith. All right. What a great last name. Booksmith. All right, everybody, that's it. Um, <laughs> already fucked it up. Just already fucked, fucked that shit up. up. Okay, so, okay. Thanks for... Uh, <laughs> no stress. I think no, that's the thing. Okay. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't yeah, have put we, any we pressure on it. we things, and then we have just mm-hmm. destroyed them. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for our first episode and listening to The Murder Brunch. We are the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Clinton. I'm Rachel. I'm Joe. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at our email. Murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. On Facebook. Murderbrunch Podcast. On Twitter. Murderbrunchpod. On Instagram. Murderbrunch. And also we have a webpage. Murderbrunchpodcast.com. So check us out there and we'll see you at the next brunch. Bye. <laughs>